Right now, though, we are going to start the show talking about something we discussed on the program yesterday, and that was what appears to be a labor shortage, especially in the service industry. As more people start traveling, enjoying their summer weekends, we have a long weekend coming up for a lot of people. People have been noticing that restaurants, in many cases, have help wanted signs and have staff members who are very apologetic, saying it might take a little bit longer because they're simply not up to a full complement of staff. So what is causing this? Let's bring in the mayor of Seashell, Darnelda Seekers, is with us on the line. Thank you so much for being available and coming on the show today. Thank you, Jill. Uh, are you seeing that as well? I, I mentioned this yesterday because I got to spend some time in your beautiful part of the province on the weekend, but did notice that at several restaurants saying that they are really hurting for staff and could hire people on the spot if they were available. Yes, that's true. We're seeing that Um, particularly in the service industry. And we think that there are a number of reasons why that is. Um, I actually reached out to our MP about a month ago to see if this is just something local or if it's across the country. And what we're hearing it is, is across the country. And it is showing up quite a bit here in Seashelt and on the Sunshine Coast. Uh, so when you say it's something that's happening across the country, did your MP talk at all about or suggest that perhaps it could be that the benefits, the COVID-19 benefits are still in place and that people maybe are, are going to continue taking that until that runs out and then return to work? That's one piece of it. And, you know, that was the one that we'd all been looking at and focusing on. So we, we started to dig a little deeper and we found out there's a few other things. Housing is an issue. Uh, cost of housing, availability of housing, particularly for people on the front lines in the service industry, because the wages aren't that great. So housing is an issue. But what we also found was that people who were in the service industry, when the industry got shut down, they waited, they came back to work, it got shut down again. And then some of those people started looking for other jobs in other industries where they wouldn't be impacted so much by shutdowns. So we've actually lost some of the people who would potentially come back to work in those service industries to those jobs. They're just not available anymore. And in those scenarios, are you able to find out or do you know, were people able to find jobs then that were better paying jobs and that made housing less of an issue? Well, they they found other jobs. Uh, how Potentially, yes, wages were a little higher. But what they really got was they had a stable income. So housing then became a bit of a, you know, not as much of an issue for them. We still do have on the Sunshine Coast and other areas a housing crisis. We we called a housing emergency earlier in the year because we didn't have sufficient housing for people at the lower levels of income. How do you fix that? Or are there kind of plans in place to try and address that? Interesting. You should ask that. I was just on a uh, call this morning, uh, a meeting with a company called Happy Pad. That's H A P P I P A D, and they're actually they've launched um, a, a, an app, and they provide background support for house sharing. So room sharing in houses, they match people up. So that would be a quick solution, and we will be actively looking at that on the Sunshine Coast.
Have you noticed a shift as well? And I think we've talked about this before. And again, having been there, I completely understand why. But people now being able to work from home or maybe only go into the office one or two days a week when they do return to the office, maybe have moved there permanently or have decided that it is feasible to live on the Sunshine Coast. Has that been happening? And do you think that's having an impact on housing? Yes, definitely. We've had we've had a lot of people move over here from the lower mainland. Uh, they didn't. They don't have to live in the small condo and commute to work, so they can come up here and spend their dollars up here. So our uh, real estate market has been pretty hot. There's not a lot available on the market anymore, and uh, prices did go up quite a bit earlier in the spring. Uh, I was at one restaurant when I was there, and they said that the staff shortage was so bad, they've now, they are closing on Mondays and Tuesdays, and that's how they've had to deal with this, which just seemed like such a shame because the, it hurts the people who work there who are already working very hard, and it would seem during the summertime when tourists are flocking to the area, they could be open, and they would be very busy if they were open. It's, does it seem strange to you that we're, we're seeing it so dire that restaurants are actually closing for a couple days a week? Well, the, the reason that they're closing is they have to ensure that the staff they have don't get burnt out, right? So right. If, they, if they don't have sufficient staff, they want to ensure that the staff they have can work the days that they're open and, you know, work full time, but not have to work the extra shift. And, I mean, the other piece that suffers is service. You know, as you indicated, if they come and they say, well, you know, we're short staff, so please be patient with us, if that's if the days that they are open, they provide better service, it still provides better, um, you know, service to the community and to those coming. So how do you see this uh, getting fixed? Or as more and more travelers come, things open up more, how do we get to a place or how do restaurants and, and those in the service industry attract new workers or attract people back? One of the things that actually, again, was brought up this morning is that there are some seniors in the community who are willing to step up and go back to work. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, that's in its infancy at this point, but that might be um, you know, a place where we can get some labor. We have a lot of seniors who are retired on the Sunshine Coast and in very good health and looking to contribute to the economy, and they recognize the the need and what it does to our local economy and our community. It's an interesting idea and, and nothing, nothing against seniors, but there's got to be a lot of jobs in this. And we even talked about this on the show yesterday, uh, people writing in, remembering when they worked in kitchens or when they worked long hours front of the house. Uh, even some people even yesterday referring to it as a, a young person's game. One person said they left when they were 30 and that was it. Uh, a lot of those jobs, though, might not be suitable for, for people who are seniors. It, I think they're going to have to change up what they actually have them do. But, I mean, like I said, we don't know how that's going to work. We'll have to see how it plays out. Uh, did you get any other indication then when you talked to your MP or when you've talked to uh, others about this kind of other solutions or, or what's going to happen, say, uh, for the rest, well, we're almost at the end of this month, say, for the, for the month of August? No, there are no short-term fixes. That's the issue. It's, it's all longer term. Uh, you know, like in Seashell, we're looking at, making sure we get rental housing built, et cetera. But all of those government solutions are long-term. So it's short-term. We don't know what we can do short-term. And it's difficult. It's difficult for every community that's going through this. Uh, how are you feeling or how are you, when you talk to people, how are people feeling about travelers coming back and tourists coming back to the Sunshine Coast? 
on the Sunshine Coast, we have a really high vaccination rate. And for the last number of weeks, we've had no cases. I think it's been a month now. We have no had no cases of COVID over here. So people on the Sunshine Coast are still being a bit hesitant. We'll still see masks um, in a lot of places. But we recognize that those businesses that serve the you know, service industry businesses require those people here. So most people who come over to the Sunshine Coast are being respectful and are uh, being careful as they come and live in our community. So we're pretty okay with most of them being here. All right. Well, Darnell Seegers, thank you so much for taking the time and for joining us today to talk more about this. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jill. And yes, we absolutely can say to come in here, you have to be immunized. And that gives people the, the level of, of comfort that they're in a safer environment. Um, to, to come to fairs and festivals, those indoor environments, those, it is still the same places that we've always known that are most at risk. So those are indoor crowded environments where there's poor ventilation. The, the clusters and the outbreaks we're seeing right now are those environments where people who are unvaccinated are coming together and they're in a, a wedding, um, there's been a funeral, there's been nightclubs, there's been indoor settings um, where people are gathering and unvaccinated people introduce the virus. And in right now, we don't have enough people with that full protection. It can still spread. All right, that was Dr. Henry answering a question earlier today during that news conference. She was asked if she was in favor of businesses going on their own, deciding whether or not they wanted their patrons, wanted to make it so people coming into their businesses have to be vaccinated. So let's bring in Bridget Anderson, CEO of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade, to talk more about this. Thank you so much for being with us. Hi, Jill. Hi. What is your response to that? The idea of now the messaging seems to be, yes, if a business wants to do that, absolutely a business should do that to protect the workers. Well, this was a bit of a departure in messaging from the public health office. You know, and I do note that Dr. Bonnie Henry did specifically mention indoor crowded spaces, and I just heard the clip played again. But the question that was asked, I believe, was about businesses in general. So if we think about how businesses have been reacting to the pandemic. When there are clear guidelines, businesses want to follow those. Businesses want to stay open. If we think back to last summer, before we had the mask mandate in place, businesses were often put in an awkward position of trying to develop and implement policies without those clear guidelines. And so this is a bit of the same situation. I would strongly encourage the public health uh, authorities and also the provincial government to think about the need for clear, consistent guidelines. And if these guidelines are put in place, businesses are going to follow suit. But businesses shouldn't have to be in the place of developing and implementing policies around vaccines or masks or anything like that. Businesses are focused on their workers, on jobs and on economic recovery right now. Uh, do you see this pro- potentially putting business owners in a bit of a tough situation in that here we are just about to uh, open up the border to, again, fully vaccinated Americans, so maybe it wouldn't be a big issue there. But if we have hotels that suddenly have to decide, are we going to be a hotel that is only open to people who are vaccinated or not? And then how do they even go about checking that? Do they become the surveillance police of everybody that's in the hotel? Uh, do you see that potentially being problematic? Well, the one thing we know about this pandemic is everything is fluid. And so recognizing that things are changing and evolving, and certainly with the the variants. 
But we also know that there are more questions than answers here. How would those these policies be put in place? Who is going to be responsible for monitoring them? How would it impact those who cannot be vaccinated? And does this apply to businesses uh, as well as other agencies like transit? These are all questions that came up for me in the last hour or so after listening to the news conference. And again, that's why I encourage the government to be really clear about communication and guidelines, because that is the one thing that not only makes people that makes the situation more safe, it also makes people feel more safe and builds confidence, which is a really key part of economic recovery. Uh, are you concerned as well in that we have seen uh, some cases of people uh, lashing out uh, against employees or against business owners, whether it's for a mask mandate or that, that that could continue then if we're now giving it uh, saying to businesses, you be the ones who decide whether or not you're going to bring in a vaccination mandate? That is not an ideal situation. I mean, as I mentioned, businesses have been solely focused on their workers, on jobs and economic recovery. And I know this this story has been having a lot more focus in the last couple of days around the labor shortage. And it is critical, the labor shortage that we're seeing, particularly in those service sectors. And so businesses are focused on those kinds of things. And so now to put the onus on business owners about whether they should or should not have some policies or guidelines around vaccines, uh, that's not ideal. And it puts businesses in an awkward position where really businesses are quite happy to follow what the guidelines are as long as those are clearly stated. Uh, and would that fall, would that also go for masks as far as uh, Dr. Henry was also asked about the fact that in the United States that they've now gone back to recommending everybody wear masks in indoor situations, even if you're fully vaccinated. Does that go back to masks and that having that clear policy for businesses here as well? It really did um, cool, I think, the situation back last fall uh, when the mask mandate was put in place, that no longer businesses were required to ask people to wear a mask or not. It was clearly posted on their doors and it came from public health orders. And I think with the resurgence that we're seeing of the variant globally, it is something that we can expect that could be put in place again. I think we all know that this is a um, sometimes a situation of one step forward, two steps back as we come out of this pandemic. But that's why it's so important for the government uh, to work with public health and to put these orders in place so that we all know what the rules are so that we can easily follow them. Uh, You mentioned the labor shortage as well, especially hitting the service industry. How do you see us getting out of that or or dealing with that and getting people back and wanting to come back to those jobs? Well, that's a a very, very complex answer. You know, I was tagged on a post by Janet Brown on Twitter. I think it might have been two days ago about labor shortages in the service sector. And my Twitter feed has been blowing up for days with people weighing in. I think there's a number of factors. Um, Some in the service sector that may have lost their jobs at the beginning of the pandemic have moved on to do other things. Some people have taken a step back to look after their families and may come back to the industry. Uh, We also have uh, a shortage around some of those people who have been brought into Canada under immigration policies, and that's one way to do it. Reskilling. It really is a very complex situation, but there's no question that we have got some very critical labor shortages. And and we all need to recognize that and think about how do we encourage young people to, especially young people around the service sector, to come back? How do we encourage um, reskilling so that, uh, you know, those those sectors that are needed um, with, with those kinds of workers will have them? So, 
it, it's a number of different levers, uh, immigration, education, and a number of other things that will come to play as we come out of the pandemic. But it really is quite critical for many sectors. Uh, do you think it is a factor that the federal government assistance is still ongoing as far as there could be a certain number of people that are going to continue taking that until and then come back after, perhaps after that runs out in September? Well, that, that kind of support has been uh, reducing as well. So the amount that people have been able to collect has been uh, coming down. That could be a factor for sure. And then also think that some of the, uh, those younger people who might have been working over the summer maybe have taken other jobs, but they're going to go back to school in the fall. So it's something else to watch for sure. Uh, there's no question that there was support that was needed by the government for individuals and businesses. It's now the balance of how to pull off those those supports when businesses are getting back on their feet, as they're getting back on their feet and individuals as well. Right, because I mean, and, and I saw Janet's tweet as well talking about it. And, and you're right, so many people said, yeah, every place I go, I see a help wanted sign. Every place I go in, the staff tell us how they're short staffed. They can't get people to come back. They could fill those jobs in, in for anybody that walked in looking for a job could get that job. So it does seem like the jobs are out there. And this was a problem before the pandemic. It has become more acute now. Um, I know several people in the restaurant industry who were talking about these shortages a few years ago. So it has become more critical now during the pandemic. But it is one that we'll have to think about. We have, uh, you know, a lot of tourists who would come to our our city normally uh, without a pandemic. And so how we'll be able to serve them in restaurants and in hotels and things like that. And it's something that we'll need to have some some keen focus on. And I know those people who work in food and accommodation are focused on this. And it's something that really will take um, a lot of thought about how we're going to get these people back into the industry. Uh, I wanted to ask you as well, we were hearing from the Surrey Board of Trade, they are pushing for the idea of a vaccine, not so much a vaccine passport, but maybe more uh, an immunization record saying that there's nothing wrong with having that record to, to access different places to go in to, to have that. It sounds like that would be something uh, that's something that, that your group and others would be okay with. Well, I think you need to take a step back on this and think about all kinds of implications around legal implications and recognizing that there are people who are just not going to want to be vaccinated. I think what is most important is that the government works together with public health to issue clear guidelines that then businesses and individuals can follow. All right, Bridget, we'll leave it there for today, but thanks so much for joining us and talking more about this. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Jill. We have been talking a lot about the labor shortage when it comes especially to the service industry and the hospitality industry. A lot of people saying it was already an issue before the pandemic. The pandemic made things a lot worse with a lot of workers losing their jobs, being put on hold and then getting them back, as you know, and then in many cases, restaurants shutting down once again to the point that a lot of people, it seems left the industry or at least took the time and are taking the time to maybe see if there is something else out there that they can be doing. So according to Statistics Canada, job vacancies are currently up more than 682,000. That's as of April this year. And that's a big jump if you take a look at where it was at the start of the year. And again, one industry that's seeing a huge impact is the hospitality industry. Well, joining me now to talk more about this is Megan Hine, who left the hospitality industry. Thank you so much for being with us today. 
Hi there. Nice to be here. Hi. So tell us a little bit about what you did in the hospitality industry and why it was you decided to leave. Yeah, sure. So um, I've been working in the service industry for a very long time, um, kind of off and on while I've been traveling. And it's been always a really great industry to come back to um, because it is so just pick up and go. So I've bartended, I've been a barista, I've been a server, I've done all sorts of just kind of front end hospitality um, but yeah, when the pandemic hit, obviously, I was working at two restaurants, actually, in downtown Toronto, and both of them shut. And so I was out of work, and I didn't have much job security being in the, in the restaurant industry. Um, so I was kind of just like, well, what am I going to do now? Um, and that was before, you know, but serve and all that stuff. So um, I started looking into options. And um, I actually ended up taking a boot camp um, with Lighthouse Labs, which is a... Um, uh, three months uh, web development boot camp um, that was all online. Um, and I signed up for that and uh, did the three months intensive course. And then uh, right out the gate, I got a job. And now I'm living over in Vancouver, um, working at a salary, working at a great team. And I can work in either remote or in office if I want to now as things start to open up. So it's giving me so much more flexibility. Uh, had you ever thought of working in web development before? I had a little bit, um, but just setting aside the time to actually do the course, I, I, I didn't really know about the boot camps beforehand. Um, so I was thinking like, oh, am I going to go back to school for a year and a half? Like, how am I going to be able to afford that? Um, you know, I'm in my early 30s. So, you know, just thinking about all of those kind of things. Um, my brother actually owns um, a software developing company. And so it's always kind of been on my radar, but I never thought I could make that jump into it until actually the pandemic kind of afforded me the, the ability to. And Lighthouse Labs actually offered um, a COVID relief scholarship. So I was able to attain that as well, which really helped in my journey. And honestly, it's, 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 I was just actually talking to a server the other day in a restaurant about how short staff they were and how she was thinking of, of switching industries. And I was like, well, you know, I was right there with you at the beginning of the pandemic. And Thankfully, I had kind of the foresight to do that jump right at the beginning. And, and now, um, yeah, I actually work at a company with, there's only about 15 of us, and uh, the majority of us actually went through Lighthouse Labs. Um, and my uh, boss has seen such a progression, or just such a, uh, like a wealth of knowledge coming from that school. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite happily in a new career. Do you miss anything about bartending or being a barista when you were working in hospitality? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like just even just, um, you know, I, I moved to Vancouver in the fall, um, so in September. And you went, I, ne- I never really realized that well, well, you're, when you're working in a restaurant industry, you just become so much more embedded in the community because, you know, you're seeing regulars come in and you get to be just a- around people chatting all the time where, you know, as I said, I only work with a, a sh- small team of, of uh, people who are all amazing. But, you know, it's, it's not like the revolving door that a restaurant is. So I am quite a social person and I'm very extroverted. So it has been quite a change working from home, just sitting in front of my computer versus being on my feed and just running around and doing all all of that kind of stuff, which is, you know, definitely part of my personality. But um, I definitely can now um, carve out something new in a sense to to be in part of the community. But yeah, it's just not as easy, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're right. It certainly is a way. And I think that's probably Mm -hmm. why it appeals to so many people, especially if you're traveling or if you're living in a new city. It's a way, like you said, you meet regulars in the community and also uh, the server family. I remember from working in restaurants, uh, there was a bond. Some of my friends, uh, some of my closest friends even now uh, go back to server days because you do kind of bond with your workers. Oh, absolutely. And there is a, you know, you're already out like you 
you know, when you when you uh, knock off work, you maybe go out for a beer with your colleagues or go to a show or something. You're you're already out. Where um, when you're working in an office or working from home, it's a little bit. There's a little bit few more steps to get there. <laughs> in a sense, it's a little a little less. Uh, you know, in in the the um, kind of the social aspects of those kind of uh, professions. So I definitely miss it, but I'm very very happy I switched careers because it's just so much more job security. It's just I always say I'm kind of proofing uh if, you know we, don't, we just don't know what's going to happen over the next years to come um with all of uh like with this pandemic of course and then you know just other disasters that could potentially be out but like being able to just work from home or work from anywhere it really really um you know if i want to move I, I can you know i'm not locked into being in a brick and mortar anymore Right. Do you think, mm-hmm. because a lot of people are pointing to the service industry and hospitality saying that it doesn't pay enough or the work environment, the work conditions can be very challenging and that people don't feel that they have that job security or maybe they have to work a few part-time jobs and that's not exactly what someone wants to do. Do you think that those are issues or that those are things that maybe the industry needs to look at? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, just being kind of on in like the... Um, you know, when you work in a restaurant, you're a bit kind of reliant on tips. And so if it's not busy, you know, um, and especially now with all the restrictions and all the table space apart, like I can't imagine how much more difficult that is as a server or someone that works in hospitality and, you know, everything is so volatile. And then on top of that, um, you know, like I said, before the pandemic, I was working at two restaurants just because when there's slow season, you know, all of a sudden the patio closes and now your restaurant capacity is half, half the size. And so especially with all the different lockdowns happening, you just never know what's going to happen. You may need three servers and now you only need one. So it gives, you just don't have, it's not like a regular 40-hour week. Sometimes you're working 60 hours, sometimes you're working 20. You just never really know what's going to happen. So there's that. And then on top of that, um, even benefits and so forth. You know, if, if you want to take vacation time, it's it's just coming out of your pocket. But there's not, there's very rarely any time that um, a restaurant is going to give you paid vacation. It just doesn't have really happen. Um, and, and I think those are things that are uh, really pushing people out of the industry for sure. Just you know, um, keeping your uh, your staff kind of valued in a sense. Right. What was mm-hmm. the biggest challenge for you then going from from one job to, to web development to, to making such a change, a career change from from jobs that really aren't that similar? Yeah, yeah. I think I kind of touched on it before, just maybe a little bit more of the social aspect and then just being more active, you know, like I'm, I, I'm not the best just sitting in front of a computer all day every day um but you know obviously like the culture that i'm in with this work and you know i'm, I'm more challenged and uh, i feel like i'm you know being able to use these like skills that i learned through lighthouse labs and um really apply them where restaurants could be a little monotonous so it, it has definitely i've definitely seen myself like just grow in the sense of um actually feeling a little bit more um like i'm in a profession rather than just picking up some jobs so that's been really nice um and but yeah it's just just different it's just a different schedule right so like you know i'm now i'm working monday to friday where before you know i'd work weekends usually and my my days off would be midweek so you know it's it's uh it's i'm part of the the normal uh weekend rush so you know well, I like to do a lot of hiking out here, so I'm I'm always going to be out on a Saturday versus when you're in the service industry. You get Tuesday where you know, you, you get the hike to yourself. So <laughs> those have been like little differences for sure. Yeah, um, yeah that's uh, I remember that well. Uh, do you feel yeah. like you have a lot of career advancement or opportunities then moving forward in in the industry you're in now? 
Oh, absolutely. Like Lighthouse Labs really did. I, I can't speak highly about them enough. Like they really, really helped me along. And right out, the, right out finishing the course, I even, um, they brought me back in to do project evaluations and mentor, uh, do like an apprenticeship as a mentor and so forth. So they, and they have great career services. So they, and that career services is something that I have for life. So if I ever did want to switch to a different company or anything like that, even though I'm very happy in my, in my company, um, you know, that they would be there for me as well. And then I, you know, actually I just found an email today from someone on LinkedIn asking if I wanted to, um, you know, hop ship, which I don't. So, but, you know, so like there's definitely a lot, the industry is huge in, in web development and, uh, yeah, I'm definitely seeing that, um, you know, there's tons of jobs open and, and, and so I, I can just imagine how, and especially with the being able to work from home. Um, so you don't need to just be looking in your city. You can be looking across Canada to being like, Oh, you know, like maybe I live here, but I can get a job um, in the next time zone over even. Um, so yeah, it definitely opens a lot of doors. All right, Megan, thanks so much for joining us to talk more about this today. Appreciate your time and congratulations on making such a a successful switch. Yeah, thanks so much. It's great to talk to you. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Well, the 2021 Vancouver Queer Film Festival is going to be happening next month. And our show contributor, John Jang, is now taking some time to look at what people can expect. Good afternoon, Jill. Yesterday, the city of Vancouver officially launched Pride Week, with the Pride flag being raised at City Hall to kick off a week-long celebration. So it's wonderful timing that today... I can share with you the details of Vancouver's Queer Film Festival, which is coming up next month in mid-August. Anushka Ratnaraja is the artistic director for the festival, and she told me that even though certain festivals have been able to adopt to a live model in recent weeks, thanks to BC's uh, entering step three of its reopening plan, this film festival will remain virtual at least for this year. Oh, well, I mean, despite everyone's excitement that the world is going to be opening up again, uh, when you plan a festival, many of the things um, need to be determined at least a year in advance. So, or, you know, if you're really pushing it um, about eight to nine months in advance. So um, while we were absolutely thrilled that our COVID numbers are down and that people are going to be able to gather together again um, and be with the people that they love and see their communities, which we know is so important, especially for queer, trans, and two-spirit communities, um, most of our content will be delivered online again this year. We have a couple of uh, surprise live events, um, but they're for limited audience numbers uh, for, again, public health safety reasons. Um, but one exciting thing about our programming being online this year is that uh, we are putting everything on video on demand for the most part. There are a few films that are limited releases, so you can check back at our website uh, for those details, but most of the film programming will be available for folks to watch uh, throughout the duration of the festival, which is August 12th to 22nd. Um, and that way folks won't miss out on, um, on the films that they want to see, hopefully. Um, and we'll be BC-wide again as well. Uh, so hopefully we'll have more, more and more folks outside of the Metro Vancouver area joining us to, to watch um, the best in queer independent cinema. To your point, accessibility is key, and one of the silver linings of the pandemic is that by moving virtually, you're able to open the door for individuals who maybe in the past wouldn't have been able to attend in person for a variety of different reasons. 
Yeah, I think that many film festivals will be moving forward into the future, uh, building upon a more hybrid model of having both digital content and live content. I mean, as somebody who loves uh, live arts myself, I really, to me, nothing can replace the feeling of being with people and having a collective experience. Um, but uh, art is not always accessible to everyone. We know this. Art costs money. Travel costs money. Um, accessibility is, I mean, we don't live in a very accessible city in a lot of ways, and people are still learning a lot about how to make spaces more accessible for folks who have different barriers to being able to access public space. Um, and so I think that it is um, sort of a, you know, a, a silver lining and an opportunity found in a time of struggle to be able to get programming and these stories to um, communities that we haven't necessarily been able to reach before, and especially communities that um, that can feel isolated, whether it's like geographically or population-wise. Um, queer, trans, and two-spirit people can feel isolated really anywhere. Um, and so I really hope that the programming being accessible online now and into the future um, across British Columbia will give some folks that lifeline into being able to see themselves and the people they love being represented um, authentically on screen and being able to see joy and triumph and reality in all of the beautiful ways that our artists bring it to us. With that in mind, we now connect with one of those artists. She is a writer and director named Natalie Terrio, a local Vancouver filmmaker whose short film, The Taylor, is going to be released through the film festival as part of its The Coast is Queer program. So what is The Taylor about? It's about a gender non-conforming person who is having difficulty with their mother um, just being accepted for who they are. And this all comes to a head during um, a bridesmaid's fitting. So there, I would imagine, sister is getting married and the mother is pressuring them to go get this bridesmaid's dress fitting. And en route to this fitting, they stumble upon Across a tailor shop and are introduced to this elderly master tailor who um, sort of helps them go on a different journey. I love that. And we don't want to give away too much because, of course, it's a short film. So it's short. It's impactful. Uh, you can get it in. I believe the runtime is just around 16 minutes. It's a fabulous program. And, Natalie, you know, pardon me because I've never had the opportunity to speak with someone who's created short films like this. And because of the shorter runtime, how important is it for you to make sure that every frame is telling a continuation of the story that's running underneath. And it seems like because you're working with such a shorter runtime, like every, every moment has to matter in bringing some impactful, um, you know, continuity to what it is you're trying to weave into the story. That's correct. So when you're thinking about, I wrote it, so I wrote and directed it. I have to put in the story um, very specific things that, help to tell that story. So images that can tell a lot without dialogue. Um, yeah, every single frame has to have something that helps inform the audience about the story. So there's not really time to put, you know, scenes that are just not 
how should I put it, scenes that or time on screen that just might be giving you time to just meander with the with the characters. The Coast is Queer is a collection of short films that are all created by local filmmakers. So what does it mean to you to be a part of the festival this year as somebody who also helped develop uh, the very scene that you're actually a part of? I mean, it's such an honor to, to be part of it. This is my hometown, so it's really exciting. Um, I had this festival in mind while I was making the film. Um, I think the stories are still very important. I have a trans son, so um, I think that this conversation is important. I just want more um, exposure, I guess is the word for it. Vancouver just kicked off Pride Week, which is a reason to celebrate, but also a reminder that important conversations need to keep taking place within our society and that we can always do more to be inclusive to marginalized communities and individuals. Would you say the Taylor is very much a part of that conversation in normalizing non-binary identification? Yeah, and the interesting thing is um, my son hadn't come out before the movie. So it was once the movie came out, he was like, okay, I have something to tell you. He's 14 years old. And I was like... He he specifically mentioned that coming from a family that supports LGBTQ um, people definitely gave him the courage to come and talk to me. As a, as a filmmaker, I want to be able to, I don't know, maybe have people not feel so alone in the world, um, tell stories where people can relate on a real human level and empathize with the characters. So it meant everything for me that my son felt understood in a way. The 2021 Vancouver Queer Film Festival running August 12th to the 22nd. You can find all the details, the schedule of events, the programs, all the things you need to know online, queerfilmfestival.ca.